everyone. I'm Rena Sackett, Director of Member Relations and the ASHP Staff Liaison to the Section of Inpatient Care Practitioners here at ASHP. Thanks for joining. I'm excited to share with you that today's episode is a curated feature focusing on medication safety as a part of the exceptional programming from the 2022 ASHP Major Clinical Meeting. Please enjoy the voices of your colleagues as they share the latest clinical information, leadership advice, and medication safety best practices. So jumping in, I always like to make sure um, when we talk about dashboards, we talk about the purpose of dashboarding, or what I call dashboarding with a purpose. Um, and really the idea behind having a dashboard, any kind of dashboard, um, we're talking about medication safety dashboards today, but it's really to provide a tool to visualize for your intended audience. Right, so you want them to be able to look at your dashboard and understand you know, what you're tracking and where you're trying to go in a very visual but very simple methodology. Um, we look at it to monitor progress or completion. Um, this can be used for compliance or regulatory requirements. And again, we want to be able to look at this dashboard and quickly identify, are there any issues going on? Is there a drastic change in the data? Is there something that we really need to hone in on and, and start to implement or, or think about putting an initiative around? When we think about both dashboard and metric design, I can't emphasize enough that you have to design both of these with your intended audience in mind. So if you're creating a dashboard for your frontline staff, what you're looking at on that dashboard is going to be much different than what you're looking at on a dashboard that would be for your C-suite. Right, your you know, frontline staff are going to want to know more in the weeds items. They're going to want to know uh, metrics that are much closer to the work that they do and things that they can impact where your C-suite may not even understand what those things relate to. Right, and so understanding really where you're honing in on that dashboard for. Um, I can't emphasize enough as well leveraging technology and you know, we're in Vegas, so I'm gonna tell you to double down on the first one for collection, right? Because if you're, you're creating you know, a really time intensive audits, it's gonna be difficult for you to keep up with that. Uh, it's gonna cause a lot of inner variability between the people that are doing those audits. So it's really important that when you're developing these as well that you're making sure you're leveraging whatever technology is available to help you with that. And then display as well, and understanding, you know, is this very intuitive? When I look at this, does it make sense? Is it telling the story that I want it to tell? Understanding the role of different people within the metrics is very important as well. And so there's three ones that we'll, you know, briefly touch on. There's owner, consultant, and informed. And it's important for you to understand and take a step back and really think through some of these different options because, you know, as pharmacists, we tend to want to take on all these projects and be the owners for all these projects. You know, we're going to save this. And, and at the end of the day, we really need to consider other healthcare professionals need to be the owners, and it makes more sense for the pharmacist to be a consultant in a lot of roles. And I'll give you the example of bedside barcode scanning. So pharmacists for years have owned bedside barcode scanning. And you know, there's, we have a great role to play, right? We need to make sure the barcodes are scannable. Uh, you know, we need to make sure that nursing has the tools to follow up with their staff. But I mean, raise your hand if your pharmacist scan meds to administer them. You know, I mean, it, it's few and far between. And so really nursing needs to be able to own the workflow to make those changes. And so understanding, you know, who's the owner. And I would actually say you should get it in writing so that everybody's on the same page with who's the owner and who's the consultant, right? Pharmacy's more than willing to support. They have the data. They can help with the initiatives to change. But at the end of the day, nursing needs to understand, you know, that they own that specific one or whatever other body, just to make sure everybody's really on the same page with those metrics. And then there's informed, right, as well. So a lot of your C-suite metrics are going to be more informed um, as, as their stakeholder role. Understanding what the point <clears throat> with the data is is really important to be able to kind of 
tell that story as well. So why are you tracking this data, right? You know, it's not just for fun, right? There's something that we're looking to move. It relates to something. And so, you know, really honing in and making sure that people understand why you're tracking certain data and why it's important is really imperative to get buy-in to your initiatives and also to make sure that there's an understanding around your dashboard. So are you looking to improve the metric? Do you have focused initiatives that are already targeting that data to improve it? Or is this something that you're tracking because you think that it's an area you need to improve and then you'll have targeted initiatives for it? Is it a regulatory requirement? You know, is, is compliance required for this? And what does compliance look like on your dashboard? Um, and again, you know, really honing in what does it matter? What does it relate to? You know, what are you, is this patient safety? Is it regulatory? Is it quality? Are you tracking clinical? You know, really honing in on that with, with your, um, your metrics. So some ideal, if you had an ideal metric, these are really some of the principles that it would hit. So they're simple, they're understandable, they're clear. And if you need to check whether you're hitting any of these criteria, if it takes you 10 minutes to describe why you're tracking something or how you're tracking something, it's not simple, understandable, or clear, right? This needs to be something that you can hand off to somebody and say, tell me what you're seeing here. Tell me what story you're seeing in the data on our dashboard. And that's a great way to kind of check and say, you know, hey, am I really hitting this? You know, is this too complicated? Do I need to find a better way to measure this? Um, is it actionable? Is the data that you're tracking actionable enough to make changes to what you're doing, to change the way you're providing care, to change a service, to change, you know, another service? So is it actionable data? And is it comparative? So if we're trying to track this over time, we need to make sure that we're understanding how the data is changing over time. And that's looking across different time periods. Um, that's looking across people. So if you have you know, a, a very labor-intensive audit uh, and you, know, you have multiple people performing that audit, is there a difference between you know, those people that are doing it? And then between groups of users. So if you are tracking, we'll use barcode compliance again. If, if you're tracking you know, bedside barcode compliance and in January you look at unit A, and in February you look at unit B, and in you know, March you look at unit C, that's not really something that you can track over time, right? There's gonna be differences, it's a different group of people, and so making sure how you're tracking that data also makes sense between groups of users. And I always like to think of it as like a SMART goal, right? So the same principles for metrics uh, you can apply from SMART goal. So is it specific? well-defined, clear, unambiguous? Is it something that's measurable? You know, do you have specific criteria around how you're gonna measure it? Is it achievable? And we'll get into this a little bit later with, you know, we shoot for 100%, but you know, in the real world, is 100% really achievable, and how can we really create benchmarks around that? Is it realistic, and is it time-bound? So we're gonna shift gears a little bit, uh, and we're gonna talk about establishing a benchmark, which, um, you know, you could say is honestly one of the most difficult things with creating um, different metrics. So looking at defining a benchmark, you know, again, this is something that you have to take into consideration both your operations and appropriate target. target. So one of the best places to start um, are with, you know, overarching organizations and goals that they might have set. So, you know, regulatory requirements, there's no ifs, ands, or buts, right? So let's check out the regulatory requirements and make sure that there's not something that they're requiring from that perspective. So great places to look are the Joint Commission or Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services, CMS. You can look at other national patient safety organizations. So a, a great uh, option is the LeapFrog group. Um, so they survey hospitals and, and rate them based on their patient safety. And so they have some standards that do have some uh, very specific metrics that they, um, that they recommend that uh, sites go towards. And then best practice documents. So the Institute for Safe Medication Practice and ASHP, 
you know, they have some best practice documents as well that help with toolkits. So not only can you find benchmarks and potentially where, where you need to start, but you can also find resources to help with obtaining those benchmarks. But I would tell you that in most cases, there is no specific benchmark that people recommend going for. <clears throat> You'll get a lot of directional, right? And so, you know, bedside barcode scanning, right? We want, we want to increase that, right? But that's not really helpful. You know, uh, automated dispensing cabinet overrides. We're going to want to try to decrease those, right? But, I mean, that's not really helping you from a day-to-day -day dashboard perspective with what you're really trying to aim for. Um, and so if there is no benchmark, there are still options for you, right? So a great place to start is reviewing information on listservs, right? So ASHP, uh, MSOS, which is the Medication Safety Officer Society, they have um, all kinds of information that people pose questions, people answer questions. You know, it's a great place to start to network with colleagues that are going through similar problems. I'm sure you all realize now that you're at the mid-year clinical meeting that we're all trying to solve the same problems. And so we really should learn from each other that have, you know, kind of people that have already started on a journey that we're just looking to start. Learning from them is a great way to kind of springboard where you're looking to go. So leverage your colleagues, network, come to meetings. Uh, so there are good reasons and bad reasons for actually doing certain metrics. I mean, obviously, we're pharmacists, we're nerds. Um, we like data. We like um, the little pretty graphs and stuff like that. But that's not a really good reason. Um, just the fact that we're presenting this and that it's on the uh, resource page, it's not prescriptive. We're, uh, this, these are guidelines. And, and so you need to really think about does this really serve a purpose for you? Um, we're going to have a lot more metrics coming out over the next couple of years to be added to this. I think, what was it, 30, 40 something uh, in total or something? It grows. Yeah, it grows. Um, so you have to protect your energy. You have to protect your focus. And if you don't, then you're just going to be chasing your tail. And so really be thinking about why do I want to uh, really look at this metric? Is this because of regulatory compliance? Uh, several of us in here have the Joint Commission. I personally, or not I, my organization, um, uses another accrediting body, DNVGL. We do list references towards both of them in this tool, um, but really look at um, why we do this. Make sure that it's actionable. If you're not really going to do anything, if we're not going to have swift action, why keep up um, tracking this or at least reporting this out? Now, I understand a lot of us during the pandemic, we had to step back and reassess what is the most important thing? Patience. Patience should be the number one thing to all of us. So with that, there are some of these data metrics um, that we were tracking that were no 
sorry, that we are just now starting back on, but we kept the data flowing. And we want to make sure that we have visibility into each step of the medication process. So I do have different uh, pharmacy students. Some of them uh, understand that terminology, some do not. But really this is the path that a medication goes through all the way from procurement through storage uh, all the way to administering and monitoring for that medication. If you don't have great visibility into any part of that process, then think about looking at a, met, a representative metric. And so that was really the first column that um, Kim was showing you. So I'm going to show you a couple of examples, unfortunately real life examples, but um, in any case, the first one, Look-alike, sound-alike medications. This has been a thorn in the side of a lot of us for a long time, for decades for a lot of us. And so as nursing is catching a lot of these with barcode medication administration or bedside scanning, a lot of those look-alike, sound-alike errors aren't reaching the patient. But as they are becoming more and more highly reliable, a greater percentage is actually coming from pharmacy um, because of human factors. And there's many different reasons. So kind of just reframing that question how can this medication process, medications coming out of pharmacy, be more highly reliable? Because remember, medication safety, it's two different things. Um, it's really two things that are on the different sides of the coin. We have avoidance of adverse events, but we also have having a highly reliable process. And, and so, um, when we look at it, really that's what we're asking here. How can we be more highly reliable at the point of dispensing medication? So this um, graphic I've seen in quite a few different presentations um, while I've been here in Vegas. Uh, for those of you who, who do recognize this, great. For those of you who do not, this is the ISMP intervention hierarchy. So what you see is a big arrow pointed up. So each type of intervention is a little bit more effective than the previous one. And the reason being is that the low leverage interventions, those in the green, things like now try harder, or education, or even policies and procedures. Um, these are really human vigilance based. And the more that we can actually 
get the onus off of human vigilance and onto systems, the more effective they actually are at creating long-term change, um, such as redundancy, standardization. Um, we, we have a couple of different presentations about standardized for safety. Uh, and what we have here is automation and computerization um, is the beginning of the red. So our high leveraged um, interventions. Now, on the right hand side, you also see that not only is this kind of getting towards the most effective, but it's also kind of one of the harder ones to implement because you have to put resources toward it. You can't just set it and forget it. You have to have somebody who is really looking at keeping barcodes in the system correctly and working with workflow. So getting back to that question, how do we make the dispensing process within pharmacy more highly reliable? Well, a lot of places came to the same conclusion. We would try to stay with the automation and computerization by using what we already have available. Barcode scanning within pharmacy uses barcodes that are already on most products. There are a few that don't have a barcode, but also on your EMR, regardless of which one you use, typically you have a barcode associated with that order. So being able to match that order with the particular product is something that a lot of us have started going towards. So the really big questions, it, how can this be measured? Um, and really, is this direct or indirect measurement? What are the downside? What's the downside of it? Who should own this? Uh, and really, what frequency makes sense? Uh, what makes sense to you? What makes sense to the C-suite? What makes sense to, uh, to the staff members who are really struggling with um, certain medications not scanning? Or that they need to get, um, have some coaching to actually come alongside you and get their scanning percentage up. So with this first bit, we really wanted to go with something that was more highly reliable and can be pulled in. Um, so we, while yes, we could go with incident reports, that's really highly reliable and it's really reliant on someone actually reporting, but electronic tracking, if we have a scanner, boop, boop, we have a record of each boop or each scan. So, uh, pharmacy, I mean, if they're the ones that are needing to do this, they need to own it. But other people that should be involved and at least be stakeholders in this, patient safety, quality, medication safety, um, 
so, uh, some uh, organizations actually use purchasing as well. So uh, our, at Cox Health, we don't actually use purchasing or um, give this to the Medication Safety Committee um, because we have our committee structured in a different way. However, that data does flow up and it does reach our um, VP and um, actually get up to the C-suite as well. And this is done on a monthly basis. However, if you're finding issues, like when we were starting this process within our EMR um, to, do, uh, to do barcode scanning at, um, at, let's see, we're doing it at four of our six hospitals um, at, through our EMR. That took like several times a week, then weekly, then eventually got to monthly um, for an IV workflow system. When you just start it out, you're going to um, have, have some need to actually coach, to actually address problems. Um, and you can actually get that scanning percentage really high. So, you may not be able to, to see this extremely well, but this is the metric. Really, we're just looking at how many doses did we scan uh, uh, to actually go out into the distribution process over all of our distributed doses. But we know that this looks simple. The detail is always, the devil is always in the details, okay? So where can we get this data from? Can we get it all from the EMR? Can we get it all from our IV workflow management system? Are they the same thing? Um, some of you have, have your IV workflow through your EMR. Um, and where can we actually pull this and is it readily available? Truthfully, you're, you're going to have some items that are going to be easier than others to implement um, barcode scanning. And so a lot of us started out this journey with an IV workflow management system. We did, um, but we've also seen those who are, um, who are actually starting out with oral caplet, uh, capsules and tablets. And so you start where you are, but where, whatever, wherever you start, you're going to have some things that are just not going to be readily scanned or readily put into this process. So our non-serial compounding at Cox Health um, is something that is out of scope, yes, or, or we're not actually able to do, um, and, and so we don't have 100%. Um, and with one of our facilities, um, we don't have our oral solutions either. However, that is quickly um, coming online over this next um, 
leave quarter, maybe two quarters. So with this, where are you already doing this um, and what areas are not covered? Just talked about that. So the goal and benchmark that uh, we looked for official guidance, looked at patient safety organizations, accrediting bodies. Um, we looked on listservs. We, we asked each other. We could not find a good benchmark. So really it came down to expert consensus. Um, within the medication safety section advisory group, uh, we did have a discussion and said, how can we actually give another benchmark than what nursing has? And so we're saying, shoot for that 95%. Are you going to get there? Probably not right now, uh, or at least at the very beginning. However, we've been doing this for about four years, and two of our Two out of the five hospitals that have barcode scanning are at that 95th um, range, uh, meeting that goal almost every month. But the other facilities, maybe they don't, maybe there's good reason why they are uh, lagging behind. Um, a couple of them are critical access hospitals. They don't have 24-7 um, pharmacy uh, physical support. Um, uh, we also have another smaller facility as well. So with that, know what is um, available, know what makes sense. Um, but if you're not able to make that 95%, what do you do? Just like what was mentioned earlier, have stretch goals. Don't just say, oh, we're shooting for 95%. Well, if you're at 20, 40, 50%, which is what most hospitals are when they first start this. I know all of our facilities were when we first started. 95% is not going to seem reasonable at all. So really look at where you are and kind of say, well, why about somewhere there in the middle? Let's add that as an annual goal. And then let's, then if we can make that for, for that year, then the next year go, well, let's kind of half the difference again um, until you can meet um, that goal. So, with this, you can implement scanning, um, then work on areas where scanning does not occur. So, like what I was mentioning er earlier, in one of our facilities, um, they are scanning at high rates on everywhere except for our oral solutions and our um, non-serial compounding. Well, there are technological um, ways to get a, uh, to use that, use what we have um, to actually 
um, bring those on board as well. Uh, so look at what you have, how you are actually helping meet this goal, and hopefully you'll be able to help start covering areas that you're not able to, um, to cover uh, right now. Okay, so our second one, and I'll be really, really quick on this one. Uh, this is something that we, it was a problem at one of our facilities a few years ago. Um, we had a lot of um, expired medication that went into automated dispensing cabinets. This should be a never event, right? This should not happen. Um, when, we, uh, when we sent people to go audit, we filled up across the hospital a, um, a five-gallon drum, a, you know, bucket. Um, that's embarrassing. So we realized that we don't have visibility into the part of the medication management process for storage on, um, on the floors. Now we think, and I think that everybody here thinks that you know that, oh, we don't have expired meds out on the floor, right? Okay. Um, and, and that's where I was too. I was like, a eh, ner nervous laugh. But uh, can you tell me exactly how many you have on the floor? If you don't, yeah, you may want to start looking at this. So, an ex so here I kind of just drew out the medication management process. Um, was looking to get visibility into this storage on the unit. And what we decided to do, um, since we have uh, some brilliant minds in our IT department, I'm sure that uh, everybody has brilliant minds in your pharmacy IT or other IT departments, we're able to write reports um, within our automated dispensing cabinet. Um, however, another methodology, if you did not um, catch um, this uh, article in, in the summer of 2020, which I don't know what else was going on, so uh, Sonika, they did the same thing except for they did like spot audits and, and were trying to have improvement based on that. So with this, regardless of whether we are doing just a straight number or a percentage of doses, which granted, if you're trying to compare um, different facilities or the same facility over a large stretch of time, you want to have something uh, normalized. But regardless, our goal should be zero. So. With that, the big questions, who should own this process um, and who should be made aware? Um, so we have our pharmacy tech leadership actually own this process. I run the data for them, but, um, but the tech leadership knows about this on, 
on the two larger campuses, but also pharmacy leadership gets this as well. Um, we do this on a monthly basis, though sometimes our meetings have to be um, postponed, but it's at least pulled on a monthly basis. And the possible barriers, every place is different. What works for one place is not going to work for another. And I know that because I couldn't even get the same thing that worked at one of our facilities to work at the other facility. Um, but um, one thing that we are able to do is that we are focusing on highly reliant data in that automated dispensing cabinet because that is a weakness. Um, is it just that the, uh, the date that the Omnicell or the Pixis or whatever automated dispensing cabinet you have thinks that the tablet is expired or is it really expired? Well, uh, we have different fail-safes to try to implement, uh, try to keep that um, going, but it still is a concern. Um, depending on the methods, this may take some programming skill. Um, and if you happen to be here from an automated dispensing cabinet company, um, this would be a nice standard um, report. So it may take quite a few tries to see what is actually going to work and what can be hardwired into your culture. Thanks so much for listening in today. Be sure to follow us at ASHP Official wherever you listen to podcasts and check back soon to hear more featurettes from the 2022 ASHP Major Clinical Meeting.